once yeah. on Twitter, and you were very, very kind. You gave me permission to meet you and share with you particular disagreements. Yes. We spent maybe an hour together. A little bit more. Was it more? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I remember very well. <laughs> Which means I had a good time and you didn't. No, of course not. It was only five minutes, no, it was five hours. <laughs> but you did something which was both uh, sweet and savvy. After our two-hour conversation, you stood up without me knowing. You went and paid the bill. It was a big bill because we ordered a lot of stuff. <laughs> and you ran away without me seeing you. I'm like, oh, he's gone. That's too bad. And I go to pay. And they're like, go away. He took care of it. And I think I've only seen you once since. Yeah. A chance encounter, August 4, two months ago, just over two months ago, on the highway. Yes. You were walking with your backpack. Yeah. I was walking, thinking of how to write my next article, running into many, many friends. And then you were on your way to join people. And then once at Urbanista, when I was ambushing another member of Mentishin, Rawad Taha, and I looked at you, and I think you knew what I was coming for, and you looked at me, you're like, yes, let's just wait a bit. I'm like, perfect. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> and remember what I told you? Yes. The yeah. website. Once the website's up? And it's up. It's up. Now. Really? Just now. The soft launch is now, so now you can go, you can check it out, www.mintishin.com, and it's up. <laughs> and by, by the time this episode airs, we would have, you know, officially launched it over social media and everything. So, so this is perfect. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm very happy that we're recording at the time that... At it, the exact time. Let's hope it stays up until Sunday. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> they don't bring it down. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. So I'll embed the website into the episode, and uh, I'll make sure it's uh, it's noted because it's very kind of you. I, I think in a way you've been doing everything related to this website, and now it's finally coming together as yeah. one easy to use platform. Yes, exactly. I want to do two things today. Sure. I want to flush out particular thoughts and see whether or not there's uh, any disagreements or maybe there's misunderstandings. Sure. I also want to get to exactly what you have in mind now that the elections have been officially announced March next year. Yes. And I assume that's going to happen unless... Uh, we hope so. Let's, uh, let's assume things move as unstable as they are right now, that we probably will have elections. Also assuming that there's no further changes to the six seats in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. which That's tricky. That's tricky. tricky. Yeah. As far as I think it's still the case that they've been canceled. It's all 128 now. Yeah. The, yeah. So there's no, no changes yet. 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 Yes. So let, let's talk both. We sure. can talk at the platform sure. and potential disagreements. And uh, if you uh, see it fit, you can hire me to be your uh, <laughs> permanent... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can take a paycheck for that. <laughs> so I'm going to start by introducing something I haven't done before. Uh, I shared a little post online just an hour or two ago saying that I'm speaking with you and that if there's any questions. Sure. So I'm going to do it step by step. Sure. The first is from a mutual friend of ours because he, I think within seconds, he wrote the question that I wanted to start the episode with. Sure. It's from our mutual friend and Mintishin member, Moin Jeber, sure. who's a fellow podcaster. Of course. How does it feel to be a father during the apocalypse? 
<laughs> of course, that's fine. <laughs> but it's an astute question because of course it is. I met you the first time. You were not a father. Yeah, you I were wasn't. weeks or maybe even days away. Yeah, you were talking about getting ready to be a father. Yeah. Second time I met you, you were trying to purchase milk, mm-hmm. or you were on your way to purchasing not maybe not milk, but something. Nutrition related, yeah, and the vaccines for the child because we couldn't get the vaccines at the hospital. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And now you're a tired old man who's about to break down. <laughs> All in less than half a year. So uh, let's start with that question. Yeah, let's start with uh, with Ryan. Sorry, if you with, can just yeah, tricks. Is that better? As close as you can to okay. the yeah. Yeah. So um, you know, I met my wife. You know, a couple of months, uh, I've known her for as long as I can remember. We were friends. We decided, you know, to try to make it work. It worked. October 17 happened. We got together. We were very close during that period. She's a very hardcore <laughs> revolutionist, let, let's, let's say. Um, we got married. We got married, you know, during that phase. Oh, really? Re- yeah. Fairly, fairly yeah. recently. Yeah. Very recently. Wow. Exactly. Almost a year now. Wow. A little bit more. Then um, she got pregnant, and uh, to be honest, the start of the pregnancy was a bit hectic since mm. COVID happened. Yeah. And then we got COVID during the pregnancy, both me and her. Oh wow! And we were very much, you know, um, how to say this? Um, we were very anxious because we didn't know the implications of that virus on the yeah. baby. There was yeah. no research, no studies. So this was early on. In the early on, that was like the start of it. Right. And um, so a funny story about my child is that Noor, me and Noor decided that, you know, once she gets into her, you know, labor and she, before labor, she shouldn't go on the streets anymore, right? Because, I mean, in her eight, nine months, she shouldn't do that. And she had some complications. And so that day, I remember very well, the Minister of Interior, Fahmi, decided not to lift immunities, if you remember, and we, have, we, there was a protest under his house. Yeah, of course. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. And we went there in numbers, right? And yeah. we were very angry, very upset. And Noor decided to come. <laughs> and it was like the final couple of weeks. So she wow. was due in two weeks. Yeah. And she decided to come. And that day she stayed there till the end. We stayed for hours and hours. We got back home. Wow. She started feeling contractions. And so we had the second day, we had to go to the hospital and the doctor decided she needs to have the baby right now. So the baby (laughs) is also the product of the street, right? That's incredible. That's a true story. This is what happened, right? I mean, uh, almost 30 to 36 hours after that protest, the baby was here, right? Rayan was here. Wow. So um, Rayan is, you know, a fresh of air you know he's something incredible that happened to us both and to be honest I first thought that maybe when I have this baby we will be less tenacious we will be you know we will have less motivation uh, we would think about the future of the baby yeah. and to be honest what came to our minds both me and my wife is that now we have less time to change this country or at least to see real change happening. So it's not about leaving now. It's about, you know, trying as hard as we can to make this country a viable place. And I'm not saying viable in terms of, you know, infrastructure, 
least to start seeing change happen, right? And so we decided to give it everything we have, especially before the elections. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to get to the elections. But the elections for us mean a lot, right? It has a lot of value and meaning for us, not just for us, for us and for our child. We want desperate, we really, really want, we desperately want to see the start of change from the institutions. While we know that the institutions are not the only venue, you know, to, to have change in this country, yeah. but we do believe that at least, at least we should see, you know, some change in the voter uh, direction during that election. And that alone is enough for us, you know, to keep going and to fight another day. Looking back at all that's happened from the moment you and your, but before you have a child, yeah. Rayan, yeah. before you meet Noor, your wife, when you are on your own, really, determining what is your cause, but a shared cause on October 17 and after, did you ever imagine that this would translate into parliamentary elections at the start? Did, in other words, did you see yourself as uh, a secretary general of a political party on October 18th? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely not. Okay, so the reason I'm asking in a bit, in an almost uh, comedic way is because yeah. uh, I think the first time I reached out to you was after a, maybe it's a slight mistake on CNN's part, yeah. They reinterpreted what Mintashreen was. Yeah. I think they called it, uh, I forgot what they defined it as. Was it the, the spreading or the... To spread out. To spread out, yeah. 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 And that was our initial... Exactly. But that's several months ago. And there's footage of you and fellow members. I believe Maroon Karam was one of them. Going to the Ministry of Interior or Ministry... I believe it's Ministry yeah, of Interior. It is. To register. Yes. I can't imagine that the protests in the first days, that that was going to be the conclusion, that you're no. now a political party. No. So is there any reflection there on what you wanted in those first days and who you are right now? Okay, so um, when we first started, and let me give it to you in a very caricature way as well, sure. we all thought that we were going to, you know, just push the doors of the parliament, go in in masses, seize it, take it, yeah. occupy it, yeah. and change the country like any revolution does, right? Of course, we had this certain pacifist uh, aspect because we do believe in nonviolent resistance. Mm. And uh, I believe a lot of us had romanticized about, you know, yeah. being able to actually achieve change through a true, you know, nonviolent revolution. Now... What happened over... I'm sorry, I'll just ask you to get a little yeah, closer sure, if you could. Sure. Yeah, that's sorry. So what happened after a couple of months of oppression, right, of brutality, of COVID, because it happened, and uh, mostly of, you know, desperation, because mm -hmm. a lot of us went into this kind of a collective depression on numerous occasions. It was ups and downs. Yeah. But mostly, Ronnie, mostly after the Beirut blast... After that day, four days later, on the 8th, yeah. when we were walking towards Parliament again, yes. that time yes. with, I mean, with anger, and I tell you the truth, it was the only time maybe where we felt we needed to resort to violence, right? Because we've had enough. Mm. I mean, this political class has killed us. 
on the streets, right here on this map, right? It destroyed half of the place, half of our capital. And we believe that we have the right to seize back, you know, these institutions, right? The state institutions that cannot protect us anymore. On that day, we were met with extreme brutality. And I think you remember very well. Yeah. More than 500 wounded from Mintishin. We had 12 people wounded, two of which stayed in the hospitals for weeks for internal bleeding because of the pellets they used, the bombs, the small bombs they used to throw yeah. at us. Uh, mm, a lot of us got shot. I got shot with rubber bullets on two occasions. And so that day, we went back to this small little apartment that we used to use in, uh, for Mintishrin. Mm. And before that day, we always used to say, we don't want to be a political party. We want to be a youth-led movement, you know? We're a political movement, right? right? Yeah. We, don't to, we don't want to be former or official, you know, because we still believe that we can change through, you know, sheer action, street action, and yeah. ground action. On that day, we got together. We were, it was like, it was a very dramatic scene, I remember, but we agreed, we all agreed that this regime, this political class, would go to the furthest extents to maintain power, even if it means killing every single one of us. We had our, some of our closest friends die in that blast, right? People we know, people we grew up with, and today, they just shot at us again, which is incredible in our opinion. And we decided, okay, the street is important, Ground action is very, very important, but we need to play the political game. If we want to stay here and to fight another day, we needed to go into politics. And this is how we decided that Mintishin has to become, you know, the start of a political party. This is, this is what we did. You know, the way you describe those first days is how I imagine things happening. Yeah. And I really thought by October 20 yeah. that it was over. Yeah. And I think, I, would, I don't know what the numbers are, but I think there's a sizable chunk of the protest movement that, once it was clear that was not happening, started falling back to something that's a little more familiar, yeah. which is maybe, to a certain degree, where we are now. But it, it's those first days, maybe even that weekend, yeah. that it looked like it could happen, and that you wouldn't need to have a new... You wouldn't have to imagine the worst has yet to come. Mm -hmm. And that it wouldn't have been all the difficulty of what we've been through the last two years. Yeah. So I like that you're pointing at not October 17, really, but it's the lowest point. It's the August 4. Of course. Class. Of course. So Mintashin goes from being revolutionary to political on mm -hmm. August 4. Yes. And maybe I'm zigzagging a bit now, but I'll try to ask it in a way that's I don't want to ask too much up front. <laughs> um, have your feelings towards the state matured since October 17? Meaning, you are now a political party that's campaigning for parliamentary elections. That's true. And you will, if you win, if you win any presence in the next parliament, you are now officially part of the state. You're part of the regime. 
And I assume that that is a, that's an evolution from taking over by force versus winning by persuasion. Mm -hmm. And then you have a very, very quick, narrow window to recalibrate. It's almost too fast. Yeah. It's two years. I mean, was it two days ago, three days ago? Yeah. October 17th, second year anniversary. And now you're give a website. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope I'm asking it in the right way, but no, no. do you now feel like you're closer to the state than you were two years ago as somebody who's doing politics? Because I don't associate Mintashreen right now with anyone that wants to try to go through barriers or try to, I mean, with the occasional protest, I think of it more as politics now, not protest. Mm -hmm. So am I asking it the right way? And is that something yeah, that relates it makes to sense. It makes sense. So maybe what happened is that during these 24 months, mm. we learned to appreciate the importance of having state institutions, honestly, right? Mm. So at first, I mean, it was like an instinct, political instinctive manner we wanted to you know break down everything right and just build everything from you know scratch which is what revolutions are of course yeah of course yeah and it makes sense right because we were not real political creatures yeah our generation has been excluded completely excluded from the political scene after the war because there was no true political scene i mean give take my example for okay so the first I've been to politics was during my university years. Mm. I used to, you know, do these, you know, small university campaigns and, you know, elections. I know you've probably done that as well. I don't know. I've uh, never been nearly uh, okay. as, as uh, fluent and skilled as anyone in ministry. <laughs> no, that's... I know what I do is bother people instead of, you know, work. I'm like, this is not right. <laughs> I serve. I hope. I hope I serve a useful function somehow. But I, no, <laughs> yes, believe skill. me. Believe me, you do. Well, I hope yeah. So. But yeah, that yeah. that that meeting we had, remember? Yeah, of course. And we, I'm, I'm sure we're gonna get to that yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in a bit. <laughs> but you did serve. I'm being <laughs> very, 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 I'm being very extra careful. I'm like, I want to be that very nice today. <laughs> That's you what I'm that. saying. <laughs> It it is, you did change something in the narrative, let me tell you. And uh, I think you saw that in, yeah. after our meeting. Well, we'll save this because that's, we'll the, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. the icing on the cake. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> the website's going to be a picture of me. Jahash, it changed the perception we have of the state, we still believe that state institutions are, you know, deprived of any value. They don't have mm -hmm. real prerogatives. I mean, a small example, and this is what we always repeat in Mitishin, which to our generation was incredible. So, when you have a major crisis, right, in any state, yeah. if there's a state and institutions, you resort to the institutions. This is Absolutely. how you solve any crisis. You go Absolutely. to parliament, you go to the government. I mean, imagine we live in a country where if we are met with a real crisis, there's a piece of wood, they call a table, the dialogue table, yeah. where six sectarian leaders sit together, you know, as if we don't have any type of institutions, yeah. and they solve that crisis. I mean, 
imagine having your capital, right, being occupied by militias like what happened in Sabahiyar, or you have, you know, uh, uh, you know, an almost sectarian uh, mini civil war happen in the mountain between two factions. How do they solve this? Do they go and the government convenes, they call the army, they deploy the army, then the judges or the prosecutor intervenes and they don't do that. They sit together, right? They talk and then, you know, they tell the institutions what to do. I mean, when you have that in front of you, it's only normal that when you reach a revolutionary moment like October 17, you would demand the whole thing to crumble, right? Yeah. Because we heard that. Ashab, you read, Scott on Nidam. That was the first call. That's true. That's Abel Killum, Yani Killum. Exactly. That, I mean, even though, yeah, it, it, it's the first chance. In yeah. 2011, it was the first chance. Right. When yeah. we saw the Arab Spring, the first yes. thing we shouted here was, yeah, we absolutely. want that as well. Yeah. Ashab, you read, Scott on Nidam. Yes. So, um, so I think later on, after these 24 months that I consider uh, 24 years <laughs> of experience, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> uh, we've come to realize that, you know, we need those institutions. Mm. We need to seize those institutions, okay? But not only through institutional mechanisms, not only through elections. Mm. Mm. There is another parcours that needs to go in parallel, right? I see. And this is societal. It has to do with society, with the fabric of society. Because, I mean, power is not really in institutions. We know that, right? Real power in Lebanon. Yes. Well, Even though that's the dream, is to put it in those institutions. Exactly. And it's not there. Yeah. It's not there. Yeah, yeah. So, where is it? Yeah. We thought, we, 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 we actually we realized that it's in schools and universities that they hold. It's in the, you know, para-institutional institutions that they have. It's in the private sector that they control. In the big businesses, right? In the banks that they hold. Mm. Uh, in, 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 you know, from uh, the quarries they have in the mountains. Yeah. It's, it's there. This is where real powers lies. It's in administration. It's in the army and the ISF that they control, right? So, real power is not really in institutions, right? And to have that migration of power that you just talked about mm. towards institutions, yeah. we need to first play the political game, right? the institutional game, elections, but at the same time, there's a big exercise that needs to be done, you know, with regards to the political culture of the Lebanese citizen, right? Mm. So the Lebanese citizen doesn't really feel that he needs that sectarian leader or sectarian party to get services, because this is what we've always come to believe, that if you need something from the state or even from the private sector, you would yeah. go to that sectarian leader, Yanni, for example. Mm -hmm. We always know that a lot of people here go into some sectors, some big sectors. Most, the biggest sectors are either the state, because, <laughs> I mean, public... In the, yeah, the state in the abused way. Of rather. course, yeah, of yeah, course, yeah, yeah, the yeah, right. way. Yes. Or... To the services sector, yeah. so the banks mainly, right? Right, right. And usually when you want, you know, to get hired, you go, you knock the door of your sectarian leader and either he makes a call to the public administration that he controls or that his other sectarian warlord friend controls or he gives a call to the bank that he owns shares in, right? Yeah. Because right. we've seen that. There are studies done at AUB that shows you that, for example, 49% of all shares of banks are controlled by politicians either directly or indirectly. 
same thing in other businesses. So there's a big way, we have a big way to go. And it's not just elections. It's syndicates. It's universities. It's private businesses. It's even going and in our opinion, going outside of urban centers. Because mm, yeah. all, like, for as long as we remember, this whole change ecosystem has been confined yeah. in these urban centers. So I, uh, what I loved, I mean, that CNN clip, because I enjoyed it, uh, forget the, the, forget the yeah. mistake that they made, yeah. and forget what we haven't, what we'll leave to later is why I reached out to you, save that. Sure. Um, the, what I liked about it is that that footage, aside from you registering, it was in the mountains. Yeah. You're up in Junie, above Junie, sure. in a small village, yeah. talking to the mayor about local issues. Yeah. That's politics. Yeah. That's how politics is done. Exactly. So I, I admire that. And I think that's, um, you know, it's, it's impressive to see that you're willing to go out of your comfort zone because Beirut is very comfortable when it comes to almost everything that we know. You're going to territory and maybe even issues that you don't necessarily know enough about. You're learning. Then suddenly you have potential ally. Let me tell you a story about going out of our comfort zone. So another village we visited was called Habariye, oh, next to in Shiba, okay, in the Shiba farms, right? Yeah. See, when we first went to the streets, a lot of people from Habariye, we met on the streets. They used to take a van. Mm. Imagine all the way from Shiba to Martyr Square wow. to protest with us. And they became, they became Mintishri members yes. and very active members. Yeah. So when we first started our town halls project, visiting these villages, we were like, okay, okay Hibri is you know, not Junie, not, uh, uh, not in the mountain. It's very far, mm. but we need to go there because yeah. we have some people who are you know, hardcore Mintishri supporters and members, right. and we need to talk to them. What happened is that a couple of weeks before, from the village next door, you had the rockets go to... Yeah, I was actually going to ask you, yeah, if that was from close. From Shreya. It's, uh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's like a couple yes. of... Yes. So, sorry, that was before? You went before or after? We went after. After? So, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah. So, to be honest, um, we really thought to ourselves that, um, I mean, going out of your comfort zone sometimes is essential yeah. and that's the problem we've had all the time mm. because we were always confined in that little space right here in front of us right at least us I'm sorry Beirut. it's flipped I, I do that for the camera but we, it's the same place it's I mean we're, place. we're, we're somewhere here, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're somewhere right here <laughs> and when we went to Habariyi we were not really surprised but we expected that a lot of you know political parties from the political class would be here would send people to just you know observe what was going on I mean it's a yeah. town hall in a remote village, let's say. And they were there, and we were talking about economy and society, about mm. the subsidies, actually. Mm. And it went very smoothly. The conversation went very smoothly. And you're talking about their local issues. About their local issues. Yeah. And I believe we left a very important mark. Mm. Because we knew that some people had some problems with our agenda, right? I mean, two main issues were uh, secularism, and the other issue for some people from the area was, you know, our stance with regards to sovereignty and Hezbollah and the arms, right? But when they heard us talking about, you know, their issues, our issues, subsidies, I mean, a lot of them, you know, 
had a different approach to Mintishreen. So this is why it's very important for us to keep doing this, you know. Maybe now, before the elections, we will be confined in the districts where we will yeah, be working. Yeah, exactly. But this is the other parcours uh, I was telling you about that should resume as, as soon as we finish the elections, you know, going out to the periphery. I don't know if this is a fair way to describe what's happening. This is has somebody who's observing, mm-hmm. and I thankfully have spoken to enough members to have a feel yeah. for where things are moving, yeah. that you're laying the groundwork not for next year. No. You're laying the groundwork for a generational shift. Of course. Yeah, and it's going to maybe show up in 12, 16 years that sure. the, you've begun something that's massive. You can't finish it next year no. or in five months. No. It doesn't happen that way. No. So you're in it for the long run, and this is almost planting the seeds. Exactly. This is building our own institution as well mm. because we want to really have an institutional work. Yeah. Why? Because yeah. some of us might leave, right? And a lot of us did leave. Some of us might leave in a couple of years. Some of us might get, I don't know, jobs abroad. You know, we have multiple reasons. We want to have this institution here that would link us, you know, to politics in this country yeah. and that we will grow eventually mm. to be able to play a bigger role in the future. And 10 years, 15 years, maybe more, Ronnie. Yeah, it I, might I mean, even take more to reach where, yeah. you know, you and me talked about sure. when we were sitting, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But we need to start somewhere. We'll be in like yeah, together exactly. with our students. And Ryan would be right. Yeah, actually, so still, <laughs> still in Martyr Square. <laughs> You're a product of what I tried, so please exactly. finish it. Exactly. But the worst thing is that he'll be telling his kids. You know, this is <laughs> that's a big issue. You know, you know, this is what your grandfather exactly. tried. Yeah. So let's try again. So there's a lot of things we need to talk about sure. and I'm not going to take a lot of your time I'm going to try to compact it sure. in a way that's fair sure uh, you've laid out I think what any political party that just started should do which is this is the hardest phase you're going to places that whether they're in remote port corners of the country or whether they're just down the street yeah. here in Maram but you're working day and night to make Mintishreen one of the familiar names from October 17. Sure. It may be the most familiar one mm-hmm. because the other groups that have emerged, they're social media creatures, I think, more than political. Mm-hmm. And some of them may be better than others in terms of, use the word carefully, <laughs> very carefully, maturity. Yeah. Now I'll say this because, and I think this is one thing we can talk about, uh, first image I saw of you I think was on LBC I think on TV yeah. so that's the first encounter the visual representation of this group or at least its leader t- nominal leader uh, and then the second image I saw was a signing with Kitli Watani sure Pierre Aisa sure you and Pierre Aisa are at the table yeah Joining hands, yeah. a memorandum of understanding, yeah. uh, less destructive than Hezbollah. <laughs> the other one is gone, by the way. The other no. one's gone. Yeah, so now we have, <laughs> we have a new one. This amazing package. Exactly. But it's a, it's an important step in that you can't do this alone. No. So you're you're opening up to a partnership. Sure. Okay. Then, sorry, just to sure. uh, within maybe days or weeks, I don't remember exactly. 
there's conversations about what to do with Kateib. Mm-hmm. And it's detailed conversations. Mm-hmm. Do you put their logo on a poster? Do you identify that Kateib is agreeing to this? What do you do with this very old party with a leader that says that he's part of this movement? And how do you address it with a base that may not think of him as part of the movement? But you find a way to do it, and it works. Mm-hmm. It may not be as romantic as some would hope. Sure. It may even not be that open, mm-hmm. but there's an alliance and there's a building of trust that other o- October 17 groups refuse to do. So I think in a way that is a very fast and very calculated, but very mature way of admitting this is not a one-man show and this is not just Mentishin alone there have to be some uncomfortable decisions taken. So that is a fact now. And then you fast forward to the months ahead. I still hear Kate'ib as being that endless debate. And it seems like even in late October, not enough October 17 groups are willing to extend a hand to a party that was prior to October 17. And I don't know if that's going to be detrimental or not to the elections. So let's start there before we sort of get into the details. Do you see this as a make it or break it scenario? That if this group is not universally accepted by the opposition, there may not be a very sturdy opposition presence? Great question. Amazing question. Actually, it's not just about Qatar. This is the problem. Mm. Right? Mm. Because there are other parties mm. who have problems, right? We call them problems for some opposition groups. <laughs> uh, the Kitaib, we all know what people say. Sectarian, uh, you know, party, civil war. But you have also other parties like, for example, the Nasserists of Saida, Usama Saad. Yes. Who has also been, since the f- beginning, you know, with us on the streets and who have taken very, very advanced position compared to, you know, his initial position, of course, right? And you have other players on the scene. You have the Communist Party. We saw that shift and we really appreciate that shift, right? And we were honest from the get-go. So we did not tell them that, listen, we can have an alliance with you. Hmm. What we said is that we should at least start a conversation, right? To talk to these parties, to these factions, and even to some individuals, because, you know, you have some individuals who were part of the political class and who, you know, changed their mind after October 17, right? Yeah, yeah. So, if we have a problem with them, we need to at least conversate to address it. Yeah. And we did that. We Before Kateb, it was with the Nasserites of Saida, or well, it was just in, 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 uh, in general? Is, in, no, so... Uh, the it Kitaib, wasn't like one for the other. It wasn't, of course it's no, not. Yeah, 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 because no. the Kitaib, it happened informally, for example. We right. only met with them once, okay. <laughs> by yeah. the way. And it was when we were, you know, brutalized in front of the parliament and we had to run, remember that night, with the gas and we had to go into the Kitaib... Uh, they opened the, the building, exactly. I remember this. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, with uh, Usama Saad... It was after his, you know, uh, positions with regards to Hezbollah. Yes, right. Which was a shift, right? Absolutely. And we believed that, okay, 
with this party we had a certain problem kitab and we mm. told them our problems very openly yeah. and with usama as well we you know we were very open yes we did not reach an alliance with them of mm. course mm. Mm. but at least at least now if there's anything we need to say we have an open channel of communication which does not prevent you from working with them potentially should there be seats won next year so our approach to this is yeah. okay because i'm trying to see the difference between uh, alliance and conversation yeah. so yeah. let me tell you our approach our approach is that we do understand the anxieties of some members of the opposite of the let's say october 17 groups yeah who say that we you know some of them say we can't really have you know kataib in our lists it will you know bring us down or yes. the others might say we can't have usama or the right. communists because of hezbollah yeah. we do understand that but we can at least have some sort of mechanism mm. Mm. first so we don't lose votes because you know there's a threshold in right. this electoral system if yeah. you don't get to the threshold الحاصل الانتخابي right. we don't, don't get yeah. a candidate yes. second yes. to make the Sulta parties lose candidates because at the end of right. the day, do I want, for example, someone close to Hariri or close to Hezbollah winning instead of Usama? Definitely not. Would I want, for example, the Lebanese forces or, I don't know, uh, uh, some other Christian party or sectarian party to win instead of Sami? Definitely not. So we have to come up with this mechanism in order to, you know, increase our chances. And why do we say that? Because Some parties, I think the true question is, what do we see these elections? How do we see these elections? Mm -hmm. If some parties don't really believe in the elections, I would say, okay, great, then you're right. Don't be with anyone. Are there parties that don't believe in the elections next year? Uh, I mean, October 17 groups that don't want... I, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's open, mm. but we hear some scatter, right? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, some people talking about, you know, it's not important, nothing will happen, nothing will change. Oh, that right? kind of... Uh, that kind of approach. I see. We yeah, say, yeah. okay, if you don't want to be part of the elections, then right. But we, as Mintishreen now, believe that elections is... It's true, it's not the only way. It's just a station. We call it the first station on the road to change. Yes. But it's... A very important station because we believe that change will happen it will happen in 10 20 years we don't know but it will happen mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. if we are able to change the dynamics within the parliament during the next elections it would be a huge catalyst for change in the future so we're not we're not, we're not saying we're gonna win 65 seats the majority and you know run the country Because even if we do, <laughs> they're not going to let us run the country anyways. Well, right. you're actually, that is the <laughs> best step forward for the next topic. Mm -hmm. I look for these moments in every episode. Sure. The segue, because sure. you just said something that's always on my mind. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to leave the mechanism bit for later, because that's sure. very interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I want to hear if you agree with this or not. Sure. You said 65 seats majority uh, a majority a coalition where you have a bunch of people that may not agree on everything but they agree on enough to form a government whatever it could be uh, whatever you want to call it it's Mintishreen and others and others yeah and some are more like what you want and some are less like what you can agree and disagree but you're going to have a, a cabinet that reflects these people And you'll have a prime minister from these people. 
and you'll be in power in institutions. And for me, if that were to happen, which it almost certainly won't, but let's say it did next year, for me, it's the same as 2005 and 2009. And I'll be very careful here without trying to... Uh, whether you like them or not, whether you, they're uh, expired or not, and whether what they are today is very unappealing or not. Um, a coalition was formed in 2005 and 2009, a majority victory for one side. Back then, it's not the same anymore. And they were defeated, not through parliament, not through politics. They were defeated in ways that go back to what we were saying earlier. But one particular part of it, not so much the education and the long-term, the sectarian uh, tentacles that feed into everything in this country, less that, more that what we saw last Thursday is what we saw in 2008, and that's how politics is done. It's when there's a majority that wants to do something through politics, and then there's a team that says no. Now, notice I haven't said Hezbollah. <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard, I uh, guess. I'm, I'm, you know, like, I'm, I'm trying different ways to approach it. But to me, that's how politics is still done. It's not that October 17 persuaded one group that has the ability to dent politics to say, you know what, we're going to leave you guys alone now and you can do whatever you want and we're fine with it. No, uh, I don't think that any coalition can politically alter anything. It's, that doesn't mean that not good things would happen. You'd have, I think, improvements all over the place, but not structural change. Hmm. So I'll narrow this question down. What, in a way, what do you expect to happen if this very important issue is with us and you win a majority in parliament? What do you think would actually change? Because I, I don't, I really don't know if anything structural can change. So, so this all goes back to, you know, your political roadmap. What do you expect from power if you attain power, right? Mm -hmm. If you just want to go form these governments, you know, these co coalition governments and do the Bayan Wizare, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where you put these, you know. <laughs> these monstrosities of you know terms that they use and go forward and talk about reforms then yes i would tell you that you know it wouldn't work but if you put at the top priority of your roadmap mm. the new social contract there has to be a new social contract and any majority that wins should start should consider itself as a transitional government, actually. A transitional government mm. towards, you know, the new social contract. And at the essence of that social contract is what we call the new defense contract. Like, who really defends this country? <laughs> you know? So I'll interject here and I'll ask another social media question. This is from Romy tweeting. 
Yeah. I think that's her last name. Tweety. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure it is. Uh, it's actually gave a, a, several questions. I'm going to pick one that fits in. Mintishreen's particular views on Hezbollah and how they plan on dealing with that issue in terms of this defense uh, defense strategy, because that's been done before. I wouldn't say it's been done. It's so, been sorry, it's been uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's been curtailed. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, what is if if there is a particular uh, way of saying Mintashin's position on this? What, what would it be? First, our aim. We always say our aim is to build a state, a real state. This this is how we start our conversation, yeah. right? So, one of the pillars of any state is sovereignty, both internal and external sovereignty. This is when I like an episode, is when I have to go on page three. Yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. <laughs> so, in terms of uh, external sovereignty, any state shouldn't be, you know, affected, be a proxy for another bigger state. I mean, it's everywhere. It happens even to the biggest states we have. I mean, even France, England, Germany are affected by other players. We do understand that. But there has to be, you know, some kind of limit or mitigation where the state decides, you know, they have sovereignty. And internally, we should have a monopoly of coercion with state institutions, so the army, the ISF, and other, you know, intelligence apparatus and whatever. So if we all agree to that, to that notion, okay, we should go and try to address I wouldn't say the elephant in the room. It's not an elephant in the room anymore, I believe, because we broke that in October 17th. We, we now have, you know, Hezbollah and the Hezbollah issue, you know, on the table. Everyone is discussing that. Yeah. And there's, I would say, a quasi consensus mm. that it's a problem. Mm, mm. And I think that the difference between back then and today is that now almost, you know, most of the Lebanese population believe that there has to be a solution. Yes. That we, I mean, this country is not viable unless we reach a solution. I'm not saying the solution is to go and have a war. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying part of our new social contract and the essence of it should be a new defense contract because everyone agrees that the army should have that responsibility. Everyone except Hezbollah and Hezbollah's allies. So this, this is a, sorry to interrupt you. Of course, I, I, of course. I, I take liberty yeah, here. Sure, 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 please. Because I agree with you and I think... Uh, if anyone does not share that sentiment the way you described it, it's hard to imagine them as part of any opposition because that's a foundational issue. And the way you said it is absolutely true. It came from the closet into the living room and now it's on everyone's... I mean, you can't live a day in this country or maybe even an hour <laughs> without it showing up of course. and on the news, on your phone sometimes it's in the background so I agree with you but that group and its allies very sort of very entrenched allies um, don't share that sentiment don't want to surrender the security that they've built and that would be the end of Hezbollah the way we know it I don't think they're even interested in dialogue they could be interested in talking for the sake of talking, not talking for the sake of fixing anything. So, I mean, I'm being very unfair by asking one person this big, huge question. No, but you're right. I mean, you're right. It's, I mean, it's, why would they give in on anything? Because I believe that, you know, 
they always say that they have at the top of their mind when they're you know when they have these arms is the security of Lebanon and the Lebanese people right yes. this is what they say so coming from me take me as an example mm-hmm. I am a very proud Mediterranean <laughs> no not at all <laughs> my <laughs> Not at all. No sectarian <laughs> proudness at all. Uh, so my village was occupied, and it was the resistance that Hezbollah was part of it that liberated my village. And my village was occupied because my village and its people were left to their destiny by the Lebanese state for a long period of time. I mean, first it was the Palestinians who came in, and then the Israelis who came in. And we really understand, I mean, their fears, their anxieties, but at the end, if you really want to have, to be part of that state, we have to build it. And there has to be, you know, some sort of, you know, minimum confidence in each other, right? We need to trust each other, you know, right? So, if you say that you do not trust the other sectarian parties, because of after 2005 and what happened and all that, okay, maybe, okay, you have your history together. But then, what would you say to new parties like Mintishreen mm. and like many other parties like Mintishreen who are telling you, we really want a state, right? We really want to build that state, but first, we need to solve that issue. And they're not telling you we're going to solve it through sectarian militias and war. And they're just saying that to have a viable state, we need to talk and decide how are we going to defend ourselves. And... It's to your advantage, to your advantage, that the Lebanese community, the society, you know, protects, you know, the state as well, because you're part of it and you have an enemy called Israel. We all do, right? So if we are able, if we want to really defend ourselves against Israel, in our opinion, the whole of Lebanon should be there through its army, through a defense Contract. We call it a contract, not a strategy. Do you remind me of everything what Samir Asir stood for? And Samir Asir believed, I think, in, in the t- same type of even economic policies that Mintashim believes in mm-hmm. 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. He was technically political. Uh, that summer's election, he's killed. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessarily the fate of someone today like him. It may be more intimidation than murder, but I don't think anything has shifted in favor of someone like him, mm-hmm. other than people talk about it. Mm-hmm. But in terms of on the ground security, I think it's only gotten worse and much worse. So that's why I, I hammer this point down always, because I think it's great to have the, uh, the platform and the, and the uh, willingness to talk, but that would work in a country where there's no threat of violence or intimidation coming from the other side, that there's a willingness on both sides. I think it's one-sided. And I, I, I mean, I assume it is because there's no reaching out from the other side whatsoever. It's true, but then again, I think... You're building long-term. So yes. it's like, it's really, this is what you want, and you know it doesn't happen next year. It could happen a decade. But you're willing to plant it. Because even from this side, hmm. there's a lot of people who have zero trust in Hezbollah as well. It's not just that Hezbollah doesn't have trust. Right. Yes. Yeah, right. yeah. 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 And and that demands first the will. I mean, 
do we have the will to build a country? I think the will is clear in everyone I've spoken to. Yes, I think the will okay. is there. People are older than they should be from that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. So let's just think about it on a timeline, okay, on a time lapse. And I'm going to put myself in Hezbollah's shoes. If they keep going that, down that road, what's going to happen five years down the mm. road, ten years down mm. the road? Yeah. Is, isn't this a recipe for disaster? Isn't this time today and now a good time? Because, I mean, they're at the climax of their power, right? I mean, they just told us they have 100,000 <laughs> 100, uh, armed uh, members, combatants. So I think, I think that if there's a true will to sit and talk, starting from the approach I told you about mm. in the start, to yeah. build a state, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think we can reach somewhere. If it's not there, unfortunately, no matter what we do, Ronnie, we will never get anywhere. I completely agree with you. Yeah. Okay, so you know what? I'm glad you said it this way. You, you're far better at describing it than I am. You found a way to m measure expectations and also say there's no other way to fix things long term. Both have to happen. And don't expect any immediate changes. Expect long term changes. Of course, because yeah. there is no trust. There's no trust. There's no trust. And the reason I went down this road with you is because now is the time for these new parties to shine. Yeah. Parliamentary elections. And it's also like biting the bullet, saying that you may win a seat, you may win more than one, who knows? But it's not next year's parliament. It's a generation. Of course. So we, might, we might win zero seats. By yeah, the way. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, but you know it's what? All, I think it was Gilbert Dumit. I'm not sure who said this. Uh, a one seat in parliament is a hundred percent increase. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Except he lost. <laughs> but that's okay. That's not. <laughs> so I'm going to transition now a bit. Sure. You've given me a lot of uh, segues to take this conversation to exactly where I wanted to go. And it's because I believe in everything you stand for. And pardon me for saying this. You're doing exactly what March 14 tried to do. I'm sorry to use that word because I know it's like it's sometimes it's treated like uh, the devil in 2021. Um, <laughs> I, I have these are friends. It's not like uh, yeah, these are not foes. These are friends who would rather hear anything but that those you know, March and 14 together because once that <laughs> happens it's like oh the whole story's over I disagree I think what you're sitting out for is exactly what March 14 tried to do on March 14 2005 and then within short period of time it turned into something very different something very un unfortunate and uh, whatever it is today is not what it was back then I think October 17 is heading in the same direction. And you can disagree with me. I'll let you say it. <laughs> but I don't see any difference in what the platform was back then and what you're putting yourself through right now. I don't see any difference. See, this is what... this is. The, I'm going to give you the biggest difference. Please, that makes, yes. I mean, the whole difference. Yeah, yeah, yeah right? please. On March 14th, it was sectarian groups who got together. And I know you've heard that before. 
<laughs> I have a lot of questions for you, but sure. I'm saving them. Sure, I'm sure, saving sure, them. Sure, yes. Save them, save yeah. them. And uh, <laughs> who got together in one way or the other, right? When? On March 14. When? March 14? Sectarian groups came together? Yes, man. Were you there? Man, they no, stopped well, the march to Baghdad. Why did they stop it? No, no, how, how old? No, no, I, 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 I was four, six, 16, 17. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was on the streets since day one because we were at IC and we heard yes. we heard the first blast of Marwan, Hamedi. Yes, exactly. And uh, it, it affected us. Yeah. And, you know, because of March 14th and what happened during that phase, I became with on. I decided what was, to... <laughs> what was sectarian about March 14th? Not, not the... Um, not this not like saying, the degeneration. No, no, no. Of, I'm not saying that the, the, the whole. No, no. I'm, okay, let me correct that. It's not March 14. Mm. The spirit of March 14. I'm saying the players behind March 14 were the BSP, were the Future Movement, oh, were the oh, Resources. Sorry, the, were, yeah, the yeah, party, the players. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. October 17, the players are different, right? Right. Because they're non-sectarian players. So. Right. Right. So, I see. Yeah. 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 So what I want to get yeah. to is that, I mean, if you want to play. The traditional Lebanese game. It's the same people. It's the same people, right? But if you want to play the traditional Lebanese game, it always goes back to, you know, sectarian strife at the end, right? A couple of days ago, we saw it was Shia versus Christians, right? Oh, we're going down the road. We're going okay, down we, road. Started. we started. <laughs> we started. This is where the episode starts. Okay, yes. Uh, on, <laughs> on the 6th of June, for example, when we went to the street that day, it was Sunni versus Shia and Khaldi. Six of June. Yeah, the six six protest when they started, you know, cursing uh, oh, Aisha yes. and you know, remember yes, that? Course, and yeah, all yeah, of Beirut yes. went up with flames yeah. for twenty four hours just to scare the fuck out of us. Yeah. Yeah. So so it always goes back to that. And what they did that day was they said that there's kataib on the streets on the six of six. Remember? Yes, it was course. a demonization because yeah. of the you yeah, know yeah, because of, of kataib, right? Yeah. So so what we what I want to get to is that. It will be really hard to push October 17 to any kind of sectarian struggle, okay? And this we have to protect at any cost. We have to protect the non-sectarian, you know, aspect of this movement and grow it. Because once they bring you back to that stage, this is when, I'm not saying they can't use their arms against us. They can, they will, they have, but they will never be able to put the population in a sectarian scenario. So, let's, let's figure it out. October 17, it's people against party. Against sectarian parties, not uh, just... Sorry, against, yes. Yes, yes. it's a non-sectarian protest yes. against sectarian establishment. Exactly. March 14, the way I understood it from you, sectarian establishment Versus sectarian establishment. Versus sectarian establishment. I can't disagree more. Why? <laughs> so you don't you don't really believe that? <laughs> okay, I'll say it. I, I, I it's the same players, by the way. <laughs> same, yeah, it's true. Okay, I'll, I'll acknowledge. I'm in the minority. I know because everyone I speak to disagrees with me. <laughs> but there were like one or two people that I say I don't trust them when they agree. <laughs> Why do you agree? Everyone disagrees. <laughs> so I prefer the disagreeing. Yeah. So maybe I'm. Maybe I'm, I have to admit at some point when you hear it from everyone, could be wrong. <laughs> I still. I still don't think so. I don't remember March 14 as a sectarian establishment-driven uh, movement. What I remember is that 
most Lebanese, not all, most Lebanese were sick and tired of the Syrian occupation. Sure, of course. And most Lebanese willingly found common cause to maybe finally end the civil war, which meant the Syrian army and intelligence exits, no more political crimes, and we can figure this out. And I think maybe it's politically foolish, maybe it's what caused a bit of this momentum to die. I think that was the spirit behind trying to get Hezbollah into the government right away. Yeah. That's the summer of 2000. Yeah, that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I, I, I vividly remember a very popular opinion expressed on the streets with political parties not sure which way things were moving and suddenly people that you mentioned come back to Lebanon. Michel Aoun is there in April 2005. Uh, Samir Jaja, the Lebanese forces, they're no longer banned. Jaja is no longer in prison, so the Lebanese forces comes back. Uh, the groups that didn't know what to do were caught off guard. This includes the future movement, which didn't know how to blame Syria or even say those words right mm -hmm. until March 14 when people were saying they want Assad to go. Uh, even Hezbollah, when they protested, Hezbollah-led protest on March 8, 2005, that wasn't, I think, sectarian per se. That was more preserving the status quo, preserving Syria. Mm -hmm. So the sectarian parties to me and sectarianism of March 14... I think that's not what it is. I don't think it's accurate. I think maybe it was geopolitically driven in that Syria was the emphasis. And among those were people that were not so obsessed with geopolitics. I mean, George Hevy is not... Uh, I know, neither Samir Asir is, or there's well, a lot of players. Well, the Mamaka, these are not... But the big players, the big players. I mean, I remember that day when we wanted to march on Babda, right? Yes. What stopped that? La Batra. It was sectarian considerations. Sectarian considerations is different than a sectarian movement. There are many sectarian considerations, which is why, even until today, and this is where we're going to disagree more, <laughs> <laughs> everyone screams Samir Jaja's name when Hezbollah does something. It's almost like sectarian... Consideration. Yeah, tit for tat. <laughs> tit for tat. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the protesters are sectarian driven or the Judge Bittar people. No, they're not. Right, so. They're not. Why is that such an unpopular thing to say? That. Uh, why is it so. It's like almost. Um, you don't. Mm, why is it so shameful to say March 14 stood for something good for Lebanon? Because at the moment, it did. And we all agree that it did. It stood for something noble, sovereignty. We wanted to, you know, have our control of our destiny, right? It was very noble. Yeah. But we don't see it like that because we see it as a continuity, right? Mm. These players mm. who told us one day that we're going to have a sovereign state for once. How, I mean, mm. you, you, mm. Know, you know what I mean? Like the continuity of it just took us back 
I mean, it might be, I don't know, uh, Hezbollah's fault, it might be the other party's fault, from Mustaqbal to uh, the PSP to the LF to ON. I'm not saying, I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just mm, saying mm, that mm. that beautiful moment of unity mm. where maybe we wanted to build a state back then, mm. during that moment. If you think about it on a more prolongated time mm, frame, mm. you would realize that it was driven by sectarian players. So it's the players that you're... It's emphasizing the players. Yeah, the players. And not and please, yeah. I'm not talking about uh, Samir Asir or Josh Howey or... Right, I'm talking right, right. about, yeah. you know, the, the, the usual suspects. Yes. The main sectarian players that, that we, as October 17, mm. have put in the corner, right? Right. And when we say... Yes, yes, yes. You know, when we talk about them, we talk about the big six and their satellites. This is what yeah. we say. Yeah, we yeah, say yeah. the big six and their satellites. Mm. We're talking about them. So, uh, so it's it's focusing on the players, and that's what's the end result of October seventeen. It's that now they're in the yeah, and the and, and this is why we we sometimes uh, not just accept but understand some October seventeen player mm. that say, oh, we're we have you know we're scared from the Kataib, or we don't want the Communist Party, or we don't want Osama Saad, or we don't want this or that, because we know that we want to conserve that non-sectarian aspect, mm. but we tell them that, okay, these people want to transition. They're showing you that mm. Mm. they're serious about their transition. So you might just as well talk to them, tell them you're mm. about your anxieties, and maybe you can help them make that transition completely, right? Okay, so now you've, you've helped me push the conversation into even more dangerous territory. Oh my God. <laughs> but, uh, it would be nice. It would be nice. It's, it's, okay. all, it's all in... Uh, yeah, all for the right reasons. Uh, I don't think there's more than one militia. I wanted to disagree with you a few times earlier, but I just kept my mouth shut. And I don't think sectarianism is the problem. You ready for that? That's the double. I'm ready for that. That's the double. Yeah, like, no. I'm going, I just committed suicide because I'm going to lose this one like I just lost the other one. No, you didn't lose anything. <laughs> so I don't think... Let me start with sectarianism before we get to militias. Sure, sure. Because yeah. militias, I think we can... It's easier to know why we disagree. Uh, but sectarianism, I know the word is used in the, in the negative way all the time. And I know that if you're not sectarian, why would you want to identify with a sectarian uh, thing? I mean, for me, the word is always negative. It brings up the ugly side of, of, uh, of politics. But I don't think being sectarian per se is what is bringing us to where we are. And I don't think sectarian leaders can act any differently, even if they're mediocre and they're way past their prime, they're expired. I don't think they can act differently because the word itself may not be negative. It may be negative right now because of many things that went wrong. But sectarianism to me is just a bad translation of a variety of people that share, share power and governance in a very odd way. And we're not the only ones that do it. There's many countries that do this. I agree. They're inefficient. They're odd. They're strange. They find their way, though. They find their way. And then we look at them and we're like, oh, it's like a strange species, you know? These power-sharing countries that did it, 
I think we're one of those countries, but we had a lot of time to do everything wrong. And that word crashed with the story. Hmm. But I don't really... The differences to me are, are positive. They're not negative. Okay. And sectarian parties are a byproduct of... Sorry. Ugly sectarian leadership that abuse this word to me are a product of violence, not a product of Lebanon. Okay, but let me tell you about Lebanon. Yes, sir. From since 1926, <laughs> oh, right? <shit>. <laughs> <laughs> right. Didn't <laughs> since 1926. <laughs> because remember that 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 you know famous photo in uh, Residence des Pins. Yes. Everyone yeah, in 1920, yeah. 1926, the first constitution. Yes. Then. Ever since, on almost every 15 years, you would have a power struggle between the sects, okay? Two or more of the sects. And every 15 years or more, a little bit less, but more, you'd have some kind of calibration mm. of mm -hmm. the constitution between these sects, but it always happens over and over again. I mean, just... In, in, after Sabah Ayyar, for example, we packed everyone, we got them to Dauha, yes. and we recalibrated the system, where now it's, you know, consensual and everyone has to be in government, national unity governments. And yeah. so, so this is why we believe... We didn't calibrate, we were put a gun to our yeah. <laughs> saying, go and calibrate. That's <clears throat> not sectarianism. Uh, but That's forced. Yeah, but it was, it's always forced. Because mm -hmm. it's, there's always a gun. In 58, there was a gun, right? In 40, in 40s, there were there were guns. And after that, in 75, there was a gun to to our heads. There's always a gun to our head, and there's always a winner and a loser. And the winner always ends up getting a little bit more from the system. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, the biggest example is 1990. But what I want to say is that when we say that we need to have a new type of social contract, this is what I mean. Yeah. And when we say that at the essence of that social contract, we need to find a solution for arms and to have a monopoly of arms with the army, so we don't always end up seeing the dark side of sectarianism that you just described. So why doesn't Mintashin, for example, this is not my, not my place to say this, why doesn't it make the Senate the key issue? Saying we have a way to alleviate sectarianism in its ugliest forms, We'll put it in a place that makes sense, where the sects, when they're insecure, they can handle things non-violently. Merit-based parliament, and that's the platform. Why is that not enough as a starting point to at least push sectarianism in a way that makes more sense? Because I agree, I agree. You're right. there's, there's things that didn't work before, 100%. It, it would be so wrong to say... It was a heaven on earth until <laughs> a certain moment. No, it's always been wobbly and violent. Mm -hmm. But systemic flaws in this country are not historic. I don't think 1926... It is, was the first constitution. It was the yes, first, but I mean... First text before the... I agree, but there are years where economically not everyone was happy. Politically not everyone was pleased. But violence... And political violence did not kill politics and you had the best years known to this country's modern history and that's maybe 50 years ago yeah. a little more 
to me, that's not something that we should be ashamed of. That's something we should go back to and, and maybe revisit. But we're sectarian. I mean, this, sectarian the institutions we just talked about, yeah. that we learned how to appreciate, yeah. were the product of these years. Yeah, exactly. You yes, know, we know exactly. what I mean. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so, so <laughs> what is the Senate like? Is that something that's it's o- obvious uh, missing component, or actually, we believe in a transitional phase, mm. and we believe. Okay, so the two chamber system yeah. has worked in a lot of uh, similar situations yeah, around the world, sure. right? Taif even and, says uh, do it. Exactly. Yes. And it's on our website, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's on our website. Exactly. That's a nice way of like, <laughs> No, no, I'm not done. I'm not done. But first, anyway, yeah. We linked it to a transitional phase mm. with limited prerogatives. Because <laughs> at the end, you don't want to give them the Senate and they would just, because they left it very ambiguous in the Taif agreement. Yeah, that's true. That and, is true. Yeah. And we don't want to give them the Senate so they can suck up all the prerogatives right, right. from us and put them in the Senate. That makes sense. So this is why we limited it in our in our vision, right? Yes. But what I want to say is that we talked about the will. Mm. Because the Ta'if is not that bad. If you think about it after 30 years of war, yeah. I mean, it could have been a good transitional constitution. The constitution's okay. It's, it was okay. Yeah. But what did they execute? The problem is, you know how they started with the immunity law? This is the first thing they've done. They went to parliament and they did an immunity law. And usually, okay, I'm not saying they shouldn't, maybe they should have. But before you do that, there's a whole roadmap to go through. You need a true reconciliation, right? Yeah. You need, you know, an honest and truth, you know, maybe tribunals, right? Yes. There's a lot of things that you should have done. What they've done, they just went to the immunity law and told this population that has been fighting, and allow me to say it, on a sectarian basis during the war, right? Because, I mean, I'm not going to say everything was sectarian, but most of it, I mean, it was sectarian driven. And then you tell them, Everything is fine. Are you ready We're for good. to like end the friendship? Let's go. <laughs> I think the sectarianism was maybe one year or less. I think the actual fighting, the the the, the real uh, Christian Muslim stuff. That yeah, we, it was the start when the killing on yeah. That that worst phase, the awal sini, uh, I think was sectarian. I think the Syrian presence in this country drove the civil war. From 1976 until the war ended, with the Syrians entering Baghdad, I think, I think, the sectarianism that turned uglier by the day is a product of political violence, and the Syrian occupation was the longest version of that. There's been other occupations, there's been other violence, there's been invasions, different countries. Israel has its... that's guilty on, on its own... Uh, magnitude, but sectarianism in this country, I don't think, was what drove the civil war for 15 years. You know what? You know what baffles me? Yes, sir. Is that even the civil war, when it started, I agree, it wasn't really sectarian. It was geopolitical, the Palestinian uh, in Lebanon and the Cairo agreement. Absolutely. But at the end, the fuel has always been sectarianism because how people perceive this, right? The perception of people. They see you have a far-right Christian, let's say, uh, camp. And on the other side, I mean, 
it, it was supposed to be Palestinian, you know, socialist, communist, ca- but they see as the Muslims, right? Yes, <laughs> this absolutely. is how this yeah. is how they perceive it. Yeah. And for example, even after 2005, it was geopolitical as well, in some extent, in some spaces, right? Because of Syrian. But how do people see it, ended up seeing it, when I tell you on a longer time frame, yeah. it was a Sunni Shia, right? Right. But that, I agree. The emotions become sectarian. Yeah. And that's the, it's almost like the, the quick way to look at it and say, there's a Sunni Shia problem like there was a Christian Muslim problem. Yeah. But I don't think Hezbollah is a sectarian issue. I don't think even the word Shia or Sunni matters in this story, let alone Christian. I think these problems are not us. I really don't think we have fought each other in a sectarian way in a very long time. I think what we do is maybe increasingly appreciate that there's problems beyond our control. Mm. And there's one of those problems that we talked about, which is really beyond our control. And now I'm going to give you the weapon to shoot me, which is <laughs> the... Because I will, I will end it on a mintish note, I promise. No, no, don't worry. <laughs> we'll, we'll escape this I'm tunnel. really enjoying this. All right, I'll, but I'll end it in a way that's like justified. Don't worry. I don't think there's more than one militia. And I don't think it's multiple militias that killed each other. And I don't think Tayuni was uh, militia against militia. I'll, I'll make this known publicly because he, he may be watching. Maureen um, Jebur, yeah. I did the same thing to him as I did to you. Yeah. I messaged him. Maureen, we've never met. We know each other. <laughs> You're doing what I do in a very, 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 very expansive way. In a much more entertaining way, you have a nice, lovely uh, candlelit background. <laughs> you have these beautiful cameras. I go with, you know, more modest means, and you have a lovely partner exactly. able you to. Media. You know, yes, and she's like it's fifty-fifty. Yeah, maybe it's a little more her. I don't know. I really don't know. But he's very sweet because he replied. I told him, listen, I've done this to other people. I think you know one in particular. I need to tell you. And I called him out on it. And I, it's, I know, it's like, I'm not invited to even, no one asked, but I feel the obligation. Heavily armed militias. No. Militia against militia. Maybe that is going to happen if things keep going the way they are. Maybe that is what happened to Lebanon before. That is how the civil war started. But right now, no, I don't, and like, you know, I, you know, I, I swear it's like at this point now, when I, when I, uh, when I mention this group, the Lebanese forces, I feel like I maybe should get a paycheck from this team. <laughs> they owe me commission. They, like, no one is, I get nothing in return, you know, I like, maybe get a house in a Marab, <laughs> like a nice villa that overlooks his villa. I don't think they're a militia. What I do think is that they were one of the worst aspects of Civil War Lebanon. And I know that he was a militiaman, and that's not an opinion, that's a fact. I know he was a feared militiaman for a long time, but I also know, and I'm going to bury myself now, (laughs) you can come and throw flowers or throw rocks at me later, he's the only reformed warlord in this country. Let me go all the way here. Let me go all the way. Go for it. Violent. Uh, 
Civil War era warlord. Yeah. Armed. Canton operated a chunk of the country. It's true. In a very in a very uh, unsovereign way. Mm-hmm. Uh, fought fierce militia against his own community. Inherited the Bashir Jmail story, which in itself is polarizing, is associated with the worst tragedies of this country during the Civil War. Arrested during the Syrian era. It's, we don't maybe call it this way. This is a political charge that was not proven. Mm -hmm. So maybe concocted post-war crime that didn't happen under his watch and he's thrown in jail now we look at this I think a lot of us think well he deserved it you know so it's like a, it's okay he's where he should be it's not the case he's the only one now that's over a decade of relatively solitary confinement that to me is not enough maybe for a warlord maybe a warlord should stay more maybe warlords should never go out He's over a decade in jail when the rest of the crowd that we insult every day are governing. They're all around. He openly, openly and willingly did something that went against everything this man fought for during the Civil War. He signed Ta'if, he accepted Syrian occupation. A few years later, it's a banned party, he's in jail. A disarmed militia, banned party, leaders in jail. In 2005, the man comes out. Now, what does he do since then? He turned a fierce militia into the most competent political party in recent memory. I think it's not, it's not an exaggeration. They produced the most decent ministers in recent memory. I think that should be said. And I don't think it's... Uh, I don't think it's, there's... Um, there's no way around it. Of the horrible crowd that we've seen the last maybe the last few years, that party produced the only ones that I think are worthy of any success. Maybe you disagree there, but I, I, I mm-hmm. can't. I think it's that's a fact. Give me my take. Yeah, give me yes. And yes, he is still Samir Jaja. He's still the head of the Lebanese forces. That name should have changed long ago. <laughs> Even Facebook is changing their name. Samir Jaja should change Lebanese forces to something else because it's an ugly name. It's a wartime name. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's Kateb's military wing. Exactly. You don't want to be the head of that, no. especially today. And then, Hezbollah orchestrates a protest against a judge who's, for all means, by, by all means, seems to be an honest, very disciplined local judge yes. pushing through a very difficult investigation where his relatives probably are not here. He lives probably in hiding and he's doing his job. Hezbollah orchestrates a protest against this judge. The words are used, snipers, uh, militia, everything. As far as I know, unless I'm wrong, 
the sniper thing was made up. It was the army and Amr, maybe accidentally, shooting each other. And uh, Samir Jaja did not go on TV with a weapon and the, the salib and the knife thing that they used to do. <laughs> the man actually, if anything, he let it go. Didn't call to arms. He said, you don't speak on behalf of this community. That's not what a fucking crazy militiaman does when the civil war is raging. That's what a reformed warlord, who may not be the most appealing person, and I don't think anyone would want to... He's civil war era, but he's the only one that went through that process and came out refusing to fight. I don't think it's a militia. Okay. <laughs> so, um, perception. Back to perception. Back to perception. Back to perception. Militias. How do we see militias? Okay. First, I told you this before, by the way, and you you made me change my narrative because you're right. When we say heavily armed militias or militias in plural, I mean, I mean Hezbollah's there and everyone else is somewhere else, right? But we believe that Hezbollah is a cross-border army. Mm-hmm. It's not a militia. They mm-hmm. have a command structure. Yes. He said it in the last... Yes. Uh, yeah. they have he admitted it. He yeah. admitted it yeah. openly. Yeah. They have a command structure. They're heavily armed. They go into across the border to other countries, they fight. This is an army, right? So this is a different creature. Mm -hmm. When we talk about militias, what do we mean? So for us, being on the street, okay, and having a single man with a Kalashnikov standing in front of us Mm -hmm. and shooting above our heads, for us, this is, he's part of a militia because how do we see this? We see, for example, I gave you three examples, right, before. Three small examples. I gave you the paramilitary parade here. Yeah. I gave you the SSNP parade in Hamra. Right. And the military exercises in Nabatiye. Yes. And for us, any party is not allowed to do this. Absolutely. For us, being in the streets with arms, parading, makes you a militia, to, at least in, my, in our perception. Because why? Because... We don't really need 100,000 combatants <laughs> with drones and regiments to scare us or to hinder our democratic process. Mm-hmm. All what we need to see in front of us is, you know, a couple of dudes wearing these, you know, armed haida with their uh, light armament. Why? Because we don't have arms. We refuse to carry arms and we will never carry arms. Of course. And for us, this is enough to sabotage any reform. Because it has happened before through, you know, uh, non-Hezbollah actors. And I can give you endless examples of how they didn't just use the security apparatus that they controlled. That, in our opinion, some of these are more like militias than security apparatus within Within the state. state. But they used civilians, you know, carrying arms and going down down the streets. I mean, you know, in Sabah Ayar, in many areas, Hezbollah was not there. I mean, in the north, in in some, in Hamra, and... 
it wasn't it was other parties that had militias so when we tell you that uh, we were talking about the militias it's these people and we decided to compromise <laughs> and decided to call Hezbollah a cross-border army because it's not really it's more than a militia it's a lot more they can fight wars from Yemen to Lebanon yeah I mean, no militia can do it honestly I mean it's, it's, it's really not a militia it's more than a militia about the Lebanese forces <laughs> that's all, I love that. that was perfect. About the Lebanese sport. You should, you should have your own uh, podcast. You're, you're good at uh, you find the way to. Yeah. yeah. Excuse Actually, myself. I mean, no, you're you're a political party. I'm a party. Yeah, yeah, We're learning. Much. I told you, 24 months, 24 years. That's true. That's, that's true. <laughs> As for the Lebanese forces, we are not here in a cancel culture. Okay. Mm, mm. So we're not saying if this, there's the big six with their satellites, we refuse them ultimately until the end of times. No, mm. we do believe that parties have the power to change. We have a problem with their leaders, mostly, okay? And some of their leadership, okay? And about the LF in specific, mm-hmm. yes, it's true. It's not just you who believes that they've, pre- they've presented great ministers, okay? And maybe, maybe some other parties from the six presented very good ministers as well. Yes. But, I mean, our perception is what matters today, now. Because a small mistake, such as the paramilitary parade, or having Samir Jaja going on TV on the famous interview just after the Tayuni events, and just trying to subliminally emphasize on the fact that he's the protector, because this is how it felt when you were watching. Did you watch him? That's the ugly sectarian stuff that's been getting worse and worse since 1970. But that did not... When I listened to him, and I listened to Hassan Nasrallah, what I... What I I'm sorry I'm interrupting. No, but of, I'll just, of course, of course. I didn't see the Samir Jaja of the 1980s speaking to me. We don't know the Samir Jaja of the 1980s. Oh. We really, uh, we, do, we don't, like, I mean, I was born in 1988, I hear stories, and this is the perception. For us, I mean, Samir Jaja is the worst world. Maybe it's because I lived in a certain community, not in the other, but there's a perception about Samir Jaja, okay, which has a lot of truth into it, because you just told me about the past. And you can make the comparison. You can say that, oh, this Samir Jaja is different than the other Samir Jaja. For, I mean... For a whole generation that hasn't, been, hasn't lived through real civil war, okay, what we know of civil war, for example, for me, the biggest thing is Sabah Iyar. It was the closest thing to a civil war for me. And I know uh, we might sound like, you know, a little bit politically immature or not knowing, but this is our perception. 7 May was not a civil war, like October last week was not a civil war either. What you have instead is everything that prevents a civil war from happening today. The reason Samir Jaja can't be a militiaman is the same reason why the SSNP can only do those parades. Okay. And the same reason why Amal can get away with a little more, a little more, under Hezbollah's wing, but not much. I don't think Nabih Birri or Walid Jumblat or Samir Jaja, or if you want to go all the way here, <laughs> the pseudo militia of 2008 that I don't remember it. I'm, I'm future militia. So you want to put <laughs> Ahmed Hariri on a bicycle? <laughs> and I mean, if you want to go all the way, right? Right. 
the non-militia, and none of them can even imagine a scenario where they will challenge Hezbollah. The reason for that is, I think, Hezbollah has created a scenario where any opposition to them is dealt with. Whether it's by them, and I agree with you, they don't want to be the ones to do it, or it's the army that takes care of it. Takes care of any challenge to this security paradigm. Which is why I don't think Samir Shahjah, even if he was dreaming of it, it's impossible. Now, if that were to happen, that's when you know you're heading to civil war. That's the beginning of 1975. Hasn't happened. I think we are having 2008 uh, on overdrive, and it's happening fast. Mm. And it took a very violent turn. But 2008 was destroying any attempt to undermine Hezbollah's security. October 14 was Tariq Bitar saying, I'm going to show you guys where the problem is. He didn't even do anything about it. Oh, that's lovely. Are we still on? We are still on. Okay. Well, we can keep talking. We can keep, of course. Yeah. So it's, it's the, he, he showed us, he only showed us briefly where the problem is. Mm. August 4, 2020. By October 14, 2021, Hezbollah is saying, that's as far as you go. Mm-hmm. I think that's the story. It's yeah. not civil war. I, I, I agree. I agree. But um, at the same time, the army had a different position the army. from, of course, the army. <laughs> so, <laughs> the army had a different position than in 2000, than Sabah Today, the army did the same thing. In Sabayar, in Sabayar, it stood on the side. It let it happen. Yeah, but this time I believe that there was one soldier on a roof. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I that's what's been. I thought it was more. It was more of an army position to you know hold their ground and you know not oh, allow. Oh, sorry. You mean like not to? Yeah, yeah. Just cross to draw the red line. Like you cannot go mm. over that state, right? So this is what we felt, at least. I, I felt, at least. I, I don't know if you agree. I don't know. I, I mean, it's, this is speculation. Yeah. I don't think Hezbollah is looking for anything that can put them mm. in a civil war scenario. Of course, of course, of course. It's not their advantage at all. It's a disadvantage that they cannot handle. Yeah. So that's something they run away from. Yeah. Which is why, if we're talking civil war language, we're assuming Hezbollah is a militia. They're not, like you said. It's a regional security nightmare, let it name. And these other thugs that shoot weapons, and there are plenty of them, we see them regularly. They come back with the, you know, these violent, violent, maybe a lot of them are former militiamen. I don't think they represent the structure that can challenge Hezbollah. And I don't think they're opposing necessarily uh, the security order the way they did in the 70s. And I think we're not heading in that direction. But it's an unpopular subject because I guess over time it's just easier to say they all have weapons, they're all violent, they're all militia. But I still don't think that's the case. And maybe I lose, uh, I lose arguments this way, but, <laughs> but I, I, I really don't believe it. Yeah. I don't believe it. You see it from, a, I mean, we see it maybe on a more hands-on ground, uh, you know, in front of us, mm. uh, 
we see them as you know being able to hinder the process just by having militias because no one should have arms outside of you know the security apparatus and the army mm. uh, you probably see it on a more macro level as Hezbollah state right and I don't think there's a contradiction between mm. us yeah there's just you know a matter of perception about how we see uh, the militias versus the army because uh, the army, the second army, because there's the two. second army. Yeah. <laughs> if this, if the first army was not with us anymore, I think we would be in civil war. We would be deep into something like that. And that's so the only thing that's been keeping us away from civil war is probably it's the Lebanese army. It's the security order that puts the army and Hezbollah on the same security side. It doesn't necessarily put them on the same side in everything. No. But I think it they effectively eliminate threats to this security structure. They proactively eliminate them. In August, what happened there did not spiral. True. That's good. Did not lead to security. What happened in the South did not turn into a Druze uprising. That happened. And October 14 was last week. We're back to where we were, except Tarek Bitar is now maybe been maybe he's been neutralized. But I don't know. I think that's uh, he set uh, the another hearing for Mashnu yes, and Zayed on Monday, which yeah. I believe is very important. Yeah, you know because it shows that you know he's willing to continue the process, and this is very important for us. We need to see that process continue. He's an accidental opponent to the security paradigm. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad that enough people still back this man because he has no, he has shown nothing to prove otherwise that he's just an honest, decent man. Exactly, exactly. Doing his job. Yeah. Everything is just lies. And and doing his job very technically and very properly. Yeah. He could have been going overboard if he wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, he's not. He's very correct. He's doing his, his, his work, right? Absolutely. And I think that scares them even more. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. there's nothing they can hold on to legally to stop him. Because they always have, you know, the rabbits coming out of the <laughs> the hat. And they just couldn't do it with him. Yep. They just couldn't. And now they're blackmailing the whole justice system. Yes. That in our opinion, we've always said is imperfect and is controlled. But I think for the first time, maybe we're seeing a kind of resistance from the justice system. Because remember... They're trying to pinpoint the whole issue on judges now. Absolutely. They're trying to say it's because of some judges who did not take some decisions mm-hmm. that the whole thing happened. And this is major. They, they really, I, I think they made us want, they pushed the idea that it's sectarian, it's civil war, and the judges are to blame. So it's almost like Hezbollah is the most innocent actor in Lebanon. <laughs> That's the narrative coming from Hezbollah. But they've done nothing wrong. Everyone else. I don't think it's working. I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> no, but I really don't think that it's working. I, I, yeah, I, I hope not. And I think, going back to what you said earlier, most people have woken up to this in, in different ways. They've, it's, it's clear that there's a problem that's so foundational. Yeah. I will now end it on a positive note.
out wow. with another question. <laughs> okay, up from the grave. Yeah, I'm kidding myself <laughs> out. I'm back. <laughs> I'm going to skip the heavy questions because there's a few that are too much. I'm going to go to the soft. It's actually it's an interesting question. So it's about the internal, uh, the internal process within Mintishrin. Sure. So this is from the managing editor of Now Lebanon, sure. Anna Maria Luca. Okay. What is the process of policymaking within Mintishrin? What is the nitty-gritty of Mintishrin? So um, let's talk internal structure first. Yeah. I mean, it's work in progress. We've been developing. I mean, remember, we started in a small apartment here in Manam Khayil. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that we used to run from tear gas to at the end of the night. And uh, we started from simple informal committees, right? It was just communication, operations, and very informal. Yeah. And as we developed, after the blast, when we decided we wanted to go have a party, we had a huge task force dedicated to studying the most advanced political parties around and to come up with some kind of structure. Then we oh. determined... So you looked at the usual suspects? Not, not here. We looked, oh, at, yeah, we looked yeah. at the usual suspects for the political program task force because we knew that yeah. most of them you know, would you know, sell dreams. They've been yes. selling dreams for the past 30 years. But for the structure, no, we looked abroad. Mm. And we determined some type of mechanisms. Of course, we quickly realized that we can't adopt the same structures that are followed outside because there are a lot of limitations and because... In Mintishreen, we wanted to have what we call a decentralized decision-making process. So, it's very decentralized. So, we have an executive council that is elected. Mm. Everyone is elected, by the way, now. We just made uh, a couple of changes. We have... Committees. So these are like internal votes for who gets... Yeah, from the GA, from the General oh, Assembly. GA. We have, oh, yes, yes, we yes, have right, General right. Assembly that yeah. elects a, an executive council mm-hmm. out of seven people. Yes. And they elect for seven committees, five members, okay? okay. And yeah. this is... Uh, now I'm going to tell you about what's, you know, unusual. So we have now part of the executive council a diaspora representative elected directly from the GA who sits on the executive council so oh, wow. he's someone from the diaspora committee who sits on the executive council mm. we have what we call an ombudsman an ombudsman is a mechanism of mediation between different committees and different because there are no rigid control structures and command structures mm-hmm. so for example Moin in the communication yeah, department, well, yeah. sometimes I, we ask him like yeah. to do some kind of visual, right? right? right. And he refuses oh. <laughs> because the committee decided that no, it doesn't work. So, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, there yeah. is a mediation process in case right. there are some differences. That's why you're on this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grounded for, <laughs> for a year. <laughs> That's so, awesome. <laughs> So, and it happens with multiple uh, committees. We have, you know, the Human Resources Committee, we call it the People Committee. We have uh, a, a kind of environmental committee. It's, it's different uh, committees within the party. We have a youth committee that is very active, very active in student elections lately. Yes. They've done a great job. Yeah. And what we have, we have, a disp- uh, we have a arbitration board, right? For if so, the, if the mediation doesn't work, right, right. someone needs to see yeah. what's going on. We have three elected members. Mm. And so this is new. If you're a defendant, you get to choose two members 
to be to sit on the board. So we give you some kind of you know uh, oh, yeah some kind of equilibrium on the on are, the. Are these common issues that happen within? Uh, or no, like just safety. We're mechanism? just we're just safety because yeah, we're growing. Yeah. Right, and right. we just launched our website, yes, and we're yeah. already at you know we're in the hundreds. So um, we're just anticipating a large number co- going in the next years. Mm. So we have to have these mechanisms in store and in place. So there's one issue though that I should have brought up earlier, which is every time I talk, I talk about Mintashin, the positivity of anyone that I bring on the podcast of like bring more. It's from the diaspora. Yeah, it's I think nine out of ten are diaspora <laughs> Lebanese that are almost. Uh, there's a uh, you're very popular yeah. abroad. Does Mintashin use that to his advantage in any way? Because I mean, I'm guessing now you want to get them to register, register, register. Of, of course. Yeah. So I think what we, I mean, what was really different in Mintashin is since the start, the get go, we communicated in mm. English and in Arabic um, because we right. knew yeah. that a lot of people were watching us, you yes. know, from abroad, and they were with us, and we have a lot of support. Not mainstream, the revolution, October seventeen, in yeah. general. So this made us very popular there, and we always try to emphasize the fact that if you're leaving, take the fight with you. You're not really leaving. So we had a lot of members who left who had to leave. And they're still active. They're abroad. still very active abroad. Yeah. We have a presence in, I believe, 13 cities or 14 cities uh, so far. And we're trying very hard to grow that number in the diaspora. And with regards to elections, uh, we're starting, uh, you know, a big campaign activity. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get it on the ground. Yes. So we're asking people to check their databases and the cities and to go talk to people, to call them. Right. And to tell them to we're trying to have a chain effect started. Right. In but communities. The, but the internal dynamics and trying to get diaspora involved in a local party, does it mean just having stationed members doing politics abroad? And I mean, I'll give you an example. I did an episode with uh, Gino Raidi. I don't know if he's still in Mentishin. I'm guessing he is. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, Gino. Gino is a supporter of Mintishin, but he doesn't want to be a member because he doesn't like any kind. Oh right, <laughs> of, yeah. But formal. But let's say someone like him, who's who was here and is now abroad, is it just a matter of pushing Lebanese to listen abroad? How, how does it work within Mintishin? So the first thing I told you is that we decided to have a diaspora seat. In the because right, we need right, them right. in the decision making process, so they have yeah. their committee. I see. There's a diaspora committee, mm. five elected members of the diaspora, but there's also a seat dedicated for diaspora within the executive council. I see. And there's an election now, um, very soon on the 31st, and we're just hoping that uh, no one from Australia wins for the time difference. <laughs> so oh, we don't have right. our. Yes, no, yes, I'm just yes, kidding. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have a dedicated seat. Yeah. And it's almost like, I mean, they're they're a key component. Yes. Like a, like a geography of Lebanon. They're one of the they're decision makers. The decision maker. Exactly. Yeah. And the more they will grow in numbers, mm. the more they will increase the seats because this is the vision we have. So to be have total equality yes. between any citizens abroad and any citizens fighting here. I, I mean, you tell me if I'm asking something you don't want to answer. Do you think that that's where the bulk of the votes are? That it's in the diaspora? We hope not. Mm. 
we hope not, but mm. it's a possibility. Because I, I, it's every time it's the outsiders, Lebanese, who are saying yes, and then I noticed it that everyone knows Mintishin. Obviously, if you're if you're in this world, but it's just more visible outside. Mm. Maybe it's more passionate by default. Maybe Lebanese abroad are still more excited. <laughs> Maybe that could be it actually. Yeah. But I did I did see that repeatedly, and it's almost like. If I only do Mintashin episodes, I might as well leave Lebanon. <laughs> <laughs> it's an exit strategy for you one. Great one. Yeah. <laughs> I will wrap this up sure. by saying thank you first for being patient with me. It's patience, I think, that is the hardest thing to achieve in Lebanon. Mm. You're patient with somebody for two hours where you could have been with your family. You're patient with someone hammering you on similar topics that I hammer you with. <laughs> but you manage always to hammer me back gently <laughs> and you massage me in a way that I shut up at the end. I'm like, well, you know, I can't disagree here. So you, you, you're very good at what you do. And I love a few things. One, that even if other people have departed and they're not coming back, you're one of the few that has no inkling, as far as I can tell, to pursue your life abroad. You're sticking it out. You had a child in the middle, going back to Maureen, <laughs> apocalypse. You also got settled into a new life. You're now the representative of a political party, and you do politics for a living, and this becomes a lifelong mission. You don't retire. Yeah. So I, I admire your passion, and I said this before, it's this kind of pursuit that inspires other people, and it inspires me. Yeah. I mean, if you're left alone doing these things, it's, it's isolating, but then you see people in the same long-term uh, mess, and they still try, so it's real. This is hope. That word is not always understood properly, but uh, sacrifice, I think, is, yeah. par is part of it. Yeah, and first I want to thank you for having me. Like, honestly, as always, super refreshing. I mean, new ideas, um, reflections, because every time I leave a conversation with you, I go back home and I think about <laughs> what we discussed. <laughs> so <laughs> you might get something out of this again. Thank you, Ambassador, twice again. <laughs> But I want to say that, um, you know, um, we have our limitations as well, right? And uh, staying here, it's true. There's a lot of sacrifices to be made. Um, I have a family and it's a collective decision. We always think about this. We talk about this. But, I mean, for once, for once, I think we should all agree that the next elections is a very important opportunity, not an opportunity to achieve the change that we want. We all know that this is a very long endeavor, but the least we can do is that hope you talked about to keep it going yeah. and to change the dynamics of that system slowly but surely. So not just Hassan or Mintishreen members or October 17 members, so the people of this country can still think that it's possible to have a viable state one day in the near future. And I'm not going to say 
medium and no, no, in the near future. And maybe that um, this whole, you know, this whole debate that we have about the nature of the country and um, what we should change about it, the structural changes, maybe it's very important, but today we need to keep what's left of this population here, unfortunately. This is our main aim and our main concern. I stick around because of voices like yours. I learn from you as well. And every time I've spoken to you and any member of Mintishin, I rethink sometimes my own long-held assumptions. And I think maybe it's okay to have a spirit from two movements in one lifetime. I think they're... I think they're reflections. I don't think they're different. It's okay, I think, to be inspired by March 14, 2005 and be re-inspired by October 17, 2019 and continue to be inspired by people like you. Thank you so much. And Thank um, you. we'll leave it on an inspirational note. That's, that's, that's great. Well, pick up the arguments when we <laughs> run into each other. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Habibi, thank you so much, Roni. Thank you so much for having me.